Hello and welcome to Workforce, a podcast where we uncover the science and behaviours behind things that happen in the workplace that impact your success, blending academic evidence and real life experiences. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Lord, an author of Think Big, Take Small Steps and Build the Future You Want. We're talking perfectionism today. What actually is perfectionism and why should we be talking about it? There's a lot of that kind of societal programming that we have that, you know, people want to be seen to be living that best life and let's, you know, we can't not speak about social media here. When things go wrong, you do not want a perfectionist managing a crisis. When I was competing, this concept that every race would be better than the previous race, it's, it's just not realistic. That's not how progress is achieved. Teresa. While many people declare themselves proudly a perfectionist when they are asked to name their difficulty in an interview or annual review, I'm always wary of those who declare they are perfectionists so proudly. Why? The evidence of the damaging impact on productivity from perfectionism tells me it is something a person must work on if they are to add their true value to their employer. I might even prefer to deal with someone who is being tardy as there are clearer policies regarding their performance management. What do you think? So I actually took a couple of online perfectionism tests in preparation of this episode. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that I probably have some tendencies of perfectionism, but I'm not a perfectionist. So I'm interested to hear from people who identify as perfectionists. We like to say, you know, perfectionism is the best thing that you can strive for. And I think like most people, I'm guilty of thinking, but it must be perfect. I think there are some occasions, probably at the big minority of the time, like 5% of the time, where we should strive for excellence, not perfection. Because I, I think perfection brings with it all sorts of problems that our guest experts will discuss in the podcast later. But I think for the rest, good can be actually good enough and it keeps you moving at a much faster pace. And what I worry about is somebody who is a perfectionist over things like documents, PowerPoints, academic papers even, who struggle and struggle to relinquish them really end up damaging their productivity because they could be moving on to something else so they're hitting diminishing marginal returns that makes a lot of sense I, I do agree with you although you know the whole saying of perfect is the enemy of good i once had a client that said that good was the enemy of great mm. which was kind of demoralizing but you know maybe <laughs> excellence is something that we should be aiming for instead yeah i think that we should think about is this an occasion for excellence or is this an occasion where good is good enough and then aim for that. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be the same across all types of outputs. So we have the absolute privilege of having one of our global experts on perfectionism, who also happens to be my colleague from the London School of Economics, Dr. Tom Curran, here with us today. He is also the author of The Perfection Trap, a fantastic book that covers all things perfectionism. And you can find more about that in the show notes. But first, let's start with getting him to define perfectionism. So perfectionism is a personality characteristic and it is mainly two big things. So the first is high standards and excessively high goals. And the second is those goals and standards are fused to a harsh and punitive form of self-criticism when we haven't met those excessively high standards. And those two features, characteristics, are the main symptoms of uh, a perfectionistic mindset. But it can also manifest in various different ways. So those high standards and that self-criticism can come from within. That's called self-oriented perfectionism. But it could also come from outside of us too. Um, so we can feel that the environment is excessively demanding of those perfectionistic standards. So we call that socially prescribed perfectionism. But also we can project those standards onto other people. Um, so we can expect other people to be perfect and can be 
judgmental and critical of them when they're not perfect, and that's called other-oriented perfectionism. So in a nutshell, that is perfectionism and some of its core features. So does perfectionism lead to lower levels of productivity? So perfectionism has a really curious relationship with productivity and performance. And I think this is one of my favorite things to discuss because a lot of people, when they think about perfectionism, they, they see the, you know, the workaholic, overachiever, uh, excessive striver. And they also see people at the very top, right? So they could point to and say, you know, well, Steve Jobs or Victoria Pendleton or Demi Blatter or whoever, you know, these kind of really high achievers that describe themselves as perfectionists. So we, we kind of think, well, they're, they're, they're perfectionists. So if they made it to the very top, then that must mean that perfectionism is critical to success. But when we actually look at the evidence, we find really low correlations between perfectionism and performance, certainly lower than you would expect for the amount of work that perfectionists put in. And the reason that, why that's the case, um, is, well, there's two reasons. The first is perfectionists work really hard. They overstrive, but they work too hard. So what they do is they put themselves into a zone of diminishing and then the inverse returns to any additional effort that they put in. So that means that they sacrifice their sleep, their diet, relationships, work all night, work at weekends, completely burn themselves out, in other words. And so what happens is any additional effort that they put in over and above a certain comfortable threshold, their productivity be declines. And in some cases, you know, they can iterate, tinker, they can work themselves to the bone and, and ultimately find their performance suffering. So we think that there's something about the overwork and burnout that's occurring with perfection's relationship performance. But the second one, the second reason is in, in many ways more interesting because the second reason is, is something that people don't really expect to see from perfectionists. So what perfectionists do is they do work hard and they've really put everything into an activity or task. But the moment they encounter challenge, as I say, the moment they, they find themselves in a situation where the chances of success are low, that is to say the chances of failure are high, then they start to recoil a little bit and remove themselves from those situations because the shame and the guilt and the trepidation and the embarrassment, the anticipated shame, guilt, and embarrassment they, that they think is coming down the road once they put everything into this activity and still fail is so fierce that they'll remove themselves completely because essentially you can't fail at something that you didn't try at. So what we see is a really interesting relationship where perfectionists put so much effort forward in the first instance but once they fail or encounter challenge or hit setbacks, they tend to withhold that effort as almost got a self-preservation. So protecting themselves from incoming shame. And that's why you see things like procrastination that's so very strongly correlated with perfectionism, avoidance of tasks, self-sabotaging behaviors, overthinking worry. And of course, those things are, are impediments to performance too. So it's a really curious relationship to perfectionism and performance, and it doesn't unfold the way maybe we think it does. I also asked Tom whether there are any jobs that a perfectionist has a comparative advantage on. And here we did disagree with Tom being much harder on perfectionists than I am. I would say there's probably no job that's going to be done better with perfectionism and a lot of people say oh you know you want you want your surgeon or your pilot being being perfectionist absolutely not mm. uh, because as i mentioned earlier like when things go wrong you do not want a perfectionist managing a crisis take it from me and all the other perfectionists who i'm sure are listening you can relate. you know this is this is this is this can be really 
paralyzing for people like me because we we're so wrapped up in in a worry about the the catastrophic consequences of what's going to happen next what you need is someone with high standards and you need someone who's conscientious and meticulous absolutely but you need also someone who's going to be able to manage those uh, moments of uncertainty and with you know the economy the way it is how how jobs now difficult uncertain a lot of innovation a lot of uh, unknown um perfectionism is not really well suited to this workplace and this economy so we need you know to recognize that whilst high standards are important a push for perfectionism is going to hold us back but what about tom things like and i'm trying to defend the perfectionists here things like um art so the creation of music the creation of painting where actually less is more so having one piece a year is actually probably optimal for somebody in in, in that sector and, and i i appreciate that the way the world has gone we're in information overload but still people who bring out selected works very rarely do tend to get many more accolades as compared to people who don't so is that where perfectionists should should move towards well that's that's an interesting question and certainly i i've always struggled to um produce quantity in my work and that this i think this is a constant struggle for the perfectionist too because i'm unable to just let things go out if they're of what i consider to be a substandard level so in in a certain way what you're saying is probably something that's enabled me to move up the academic ladder and i'm sure there are other people who have stuck to these kind of consistently high standards but produce less output who have also done quite well and that may you know artists and and musicians may be uh, individuals for whom perfectionism has, has propelled them. And there are a lot of case studies actually in those industries. So I think there's an, there is an argument to be made, but the cost to that is quite high because with those worries comes a lot of mental health struggles, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And again, you see a lot of these issues um, overrepresented in these industries too. So it's 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 look it's a it's a fine balance on the one hand you have this kind of this evidence that suggests that perfection can do extraordinary things but on the other the the cost to that is something we you know we have to think about so we have defined perfectionism and heard about the ramifications of perfectionism on the perfectionist but what if anything do we know about where the tendency for perfectionism comes from I asked Pandora Paloma, quantum transformation and business coach. Perfectionism can come because we've had a fear, you know, something has happened to us. You know, it can be parents who put a lot of pressure on us or we had, let's say, unrealistic expectations. It can come because we have a fear of judgment or a disapproval from others, which normally is, you know, because of something that we have experienced. Typically, you know, our beliefs are formed between the age of 0 and 7. So, you know, something that has happened to us that we, we've made meaning of that. And then it's, you know, stuck in the subconscious. And that is the way that we then see our life. That's the way that we see that thing. Can you talk more about the origins of perfectionism? So I, I can accept early in life, things can happen that can cause some somebody to become a perfectionist and all through kind of your formative years. But I'm interested in people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s who go to work in a particular culture and whether that culture can cause them to be a perfectionist having never had tendencies for that before. Totally. And I think it is culture. I think it's the culture that we live in. So there's very much a narrative of like, this is what success looks like. You know, and and I think for a lot of people, they don't 
and I don't think that's consciously, but they don't take the time to question, does that feel true for me? And so they keep going and keep going and keep going and they get the partner and they get the house and they get the car and they have the children and they do all the things that we're like, that's a perfect life. Look, at, look, this is what's been presented. And they get there and they think, shit, this doesn't feel good. Hold on a minute. <laughs> uh, why do I feel so lost? And then because perhaps they don't feel safe to be vulnerable or, you know, don't have the support around them to question, you know, someone to question that with, they hold it all, they hold it all because I should look like I should be happy here. Surely this is what everyone is saying is, you know, it makes us happy. So I think that there's a lot of that kind of societal programming that we have that, you know, people want to be seen to be living that best life. And let's, you know, we can't not speak about social media here. You know, I think that absolutely has an impact as well because everyone's showing the showreel. And, you know, if you're not taking that time to question what's true for me, what's true for me, and be aware of how you're absorbing, you know, that that programming, you will probably be thinking, well, I've got to do that. And that person's, you know, doing all of those things and I'm not doing that. So I've got to do that too. And suddenly you're holding, you know, or trying to hold everything without going, do do I even want this? Does that even feel, you know, like, is that even my value system? Do you know what I mean? Is that what makes me happy? So, yeah, I think the world that we live in, you know, kind of fuels perfectionism because we all want to be looking like we're living our best life. I also asked the same question to Tom. Where does the tendency for perfectionism come from? So that question is a huge question. (laughs) One I answer in my book, The Perfection Trap, uh, (laughs) uh, available now um, in good bookstores. Uh, I mean, look, there's there's three there's three for me there's three core reasons: social media and the uh, the explosion of advertising into almost every part of our daily existence. I think is is a key factor. Because you know, social media is, is analog advertising on steroids, uh, designed to make us feel like we need something more. But there's also intense pressures in schools, colleges, pushy parents, which are responding to sort of meritocratic pressures in broader environment that are, that are making achievement and, and excellence a kind of a, a standard for, for young people, um, which I think is also playing into. It. And of course, the jo- job in the workplace has become so much more uh, uncertain. Uh, insecure work has become de facto. The gig economy has exploded. Um, the people view themselves as kind of rentable assets to be traded on the job marketplace, the job floor. You know, this kind of hustle culture has really become dominant among particularly uh, young workers, which creates a lot of apprehension, a lot of uncertainty about, you know, whether we're going to be in a job next year, next month, whenever it might be. And these things create a lot of fear and anxiety of failure and worry about how we're performing. And as we mentioned, you know, that sort of thing is a really powerful driver of perfectionism. So in a nutshell, I think those are the factors. By now, I was keen to learn more about the negative personal impacts on perfectionism. Let's hear how it impacted Paloma on a personal level, given she is a self-declared perfectionist. So when I worked in corporate... I was, you know, I was, you know, had perfectionist tendencies. First one in, last one out, didn't go on holiday for seven years. Everything was about being successful, you know, doing, you know, doing the thing. When I started to realize that actually I was in that cycle and I was dysregulated, my nervous system was dysregulated. So I wasn't doing that from a place of this is exciting. I was doing it from a place of like, I've got to do this because therefore I'll be accepted. You know, it was my default, right? It was my baseline. 
it took me two, I would say it's taken me two years. And I'd say in the last sort of solid year, I have slowed my life down. When you were discussing your own experience, Pandora, you, you spoke about being a perfectionist in your corporate role. I'm wondering at that time, were you a perfectionist in every domain of your life? Or is it possible for you or for anybody else to just have tendencies for perfectionism in particular domains and be more relaxed in others? I think that if you have some form of a tendency, it will show up in other areas. Like my perfectionism mostly started with an eating disorder. So it's like I had to look perfect, which was because of a belief that if I looked a certain way, I wouldn't be loved. So my my mum and my sister were quite judgmental of other women because they were insecure themselves, of course. And so what that meant was their constant looking at other women and being like, oh, what's she wearing that for? Oh, doesn't she look awful in that? I formed a belief that was like, I have to stay small and slim in order to be loved by them. And so that that was almost the start of my perfectionism. If I, if I look a certain way, if I keep myself here, then I will be loved. But I was also then doing that in other areas. So when I started work, it was like, well, I'll be loved if I show up. I'll be loved if I say yes first. I'll be loved if I'm the first one in. So, you know, that's what I say when it comes to perfectionism. There's there's usually something behind it. What is it that that perfectionism gives you? You know, in being perfect, I am. And what's the belief there? You know, I am loved, I am accepted. And then it's looking at, okay, so how do we break that down? Fresh with insights on what being a perfectionist means for the individual, I also grabbed the opportunity to meet another perfectionist who describes themselves as a reformed perfectionist, having gone into battle with perfectionism and won. Meet Charlie Haversat. Charlie is the founder of Salt Pond Consulting, working with clients to help them transform and grow a sustainable business. She is a former professional athlete specialising in long distance running, where she would fixate on an unattainable goal, perfection. I asked Charlie how she recovered from being a perfectionist. My journey to discovering I was a perfectionist and and then letting go of that was really based on the fact that I was being super hard on myself and in some cases unrealistic about what my next steps were. Um, so as, as an example, I used to be a professional athlete. And when I was competing, I, I ran, you know, the five and 10,000. When I was competing, this concept that every race would be better than the, than the previous race, it's, it's just not realistic. That's not how progress is achieved, especially from an athletics perspective. The idea that anything that I'm doing now would be, you know, that there would always be quality improvement built into it. It's, it's not realistic. And it's also not, it's not healthy. It puts, um, it's not only putting stressors on myself, but it's putting on, it's putting a huge amount of stress on the people who are supporting me as I'm trying to, to kind of reach those goals. How did you manage to convert from being a perfectionist to being a reformed perfectionist? Um, great question. In hindsight, my answer today probably would be different than it was five years ago. I think parent parenthood really helped push that envelope. When you have children, you, you, um, you realize the concept of good enough. Like, I don't need everything to be perfect. I don't need to be the mother that's bringing the perfect cupcakes to school. I don't need to have, you know, the perfect kid. And not only that, but I don't want that. So I think in that case, you know, my daughter is now 32. And after, you know, a couple of years of, of parenting, I realized that um, perfectionism had to go by the wayside. Can you say something about domains, Charlie? So it was interesting to me that you said when I had a child, my tendency for perfectionism drifted away because I realized that good had to be good enough. Yep. And then you spoke about kind of being a perfectionist when you were an athlete, when you were younger. Now that you have 
kind of quashed perfectionism in the family domain. Are there any areas of your life where you still have perfectionist tendencies? Um, it's interesting. My current, I'm currently a project manager, and I find that I become much, much more focused on on good enough. Like, and if we look at the the process of doing project management, um, and, and I don't work in the software industry, but I work in academia. Um, I find that I'm becoming much less a perfectionist as I get older, and I can't tell if it's just a function in part because there's a certain gratitude and success that can come from getting small pieces of something done. Um, and then getting, you know, potentially halfway through a project and realize that we have achieved a state of good enough. Um, so I would say as I get older, I'm becoming really much more focused on on the, the good enough as a philosophy. So if there was somebody who's listening today who identifies with being a perfectionist and wants to be a reformed perfectionist, are there any kind of tips you would give them to help them on their journey? One, ask yourself why. Quite often I find, and I, and I still find myself doing it, I'm actually putting on a big conference today, and we have a, um, like 300 people coming to this this conference and got a um, late-breaking change in the materials that are going to be presented in, in about two hours. And as we were looking at facilitating getting that change made, there's going to be a little bit of a technical glitch, and then I realized it didn't matter. So in terms of tips, first question I ask myself is, why is it important? that this thing, this thing I'm about to do is perfect. And that as I start unpacking that, it's easier to kind of let go of why. Because most often it's it's some something unrealistic and something un- unattainable. Three things I think are really crucial for combating uh, perfectionism. The first is to be kind to yourself. And and when I say be kind to yourself, I mean that kind of in a, in a really radical sense. So perfectionists are really harsh and self-critical. They worry and ruminate about failure. So when things go wrong, which they will do many times, you're going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. Failure is just something that's part and parcel of being human. So accepting that, I guess, that common humanity that we all fail, everyone's imperfect. We can never be made perfect. I think once you realize that and, and begin to be a lot more compassionate to ourselves when we, when we fail, uh, I think is really important. So self-compassion is really, really important. Um, getting things done and getting things started is also crucial. Perfection procrastinate a lot. So being able to accept when things are just good enough is really important. Easier said than done, but a lot of the things that I tell my students are really true also for people in the, in the business world. Sometimes the hardest part is starting. So just... It doesn't matter what it is. If you've got to do a project, if you've got to do a presentation, if you've got to write a really testy email, just get started. And and that helps break through a lot of the issues around procrastination. And thirdly, I think surround yourself um, with people, move towards people. Perfectionists tend to recall, move away from people, particularly in situations where they're going to get judged, you know, presentations or important meetings. They fear the negative social evaluation. So, so a third piece of uh, feedback, and I think this is really important in particularly in workplace settings, is to move towards people, build good, warm, collaborative networks. Okay, these are all great tips for individuals. My advice is to choose the one that resonates with you the most and monitor its effectiveness on your tendency to be a perfectionist. If it works, fantastic, stick with it. If not, find another solution. But for me, if you're feeling overwhelmed and stuck inside a project you can't let go of, I would ask myself one question. 
Will I care about the outcome in one year's time? If not, just let it go. Teresa, you have said that you have perfectionist traits, but you are not a perfectionist. Are there any top tips that you would like to add for people who identify with being a perfectionist out there? I think a top tip for me that I've been trying over the last week is actually reminding yourself of the opportunity cost. So what am I missing by spending ages trying to make something perfect and then trying to figure out if I could be doing something better with my time, hanging out with my friends, exercising, and that might actually mean I can finish my work earlier or not strive for perfectionism. Or hanging out with your friends, exercising or podcasting. Exactly. Yes, this is great. (laughs) But all of these tips are only useful if a person identifies their tendency for perfectionism and addresses it. Don't forget, just like confidence, perfectionism has a very low correlation with performance. I think managers also need to be much more vigilant regarding performance managing perfectionists so they are free from the shackles of perfectionism and can do their best work. Personally, I think that when tasks are being allocated, managers should be clear on what is required. Is this a task that needs excellent or is good good enough? And I think good is good enough for many of the things that need doing. A PowerPoint to guide a meeting, an internal report and so on. But let's hear what my expert guests think that managers can do for the people who they employ. Perfectionists are really easy to spot because they'll be the ones who are probably in a little bit, a little bit later. They might be working after hours. They, uh, they might seem really uh, anxious about important um, events like big talks or sending off important reports. You find a lot of hesitancy and, and doubt and uh, anxiety. And, and, you know, managers will see these individuals all the time and they'll also recognize that they're extremely valuable colleagues because they, you know, they do have some really positive traits. It's managing those anxieties that I think is going to be really important for professionals. So for these people in particular, it's really, really important to uh, keep communicating, you keep communicating that they matter and provide it, as I mentioned earlier, but this is so, so important, provide a culture that, of safety where people feel like it's okay to fail. Um, it's okay to slip up. We all do it. And it's not an indictment on you. Uh, it's not a reflection on how the company views you. It's just part and parcel of working in industries these days that are very fast moving. That for me is the most important, is the most important thing, just making sure that people feel safe and valued in the organization. So these are some great tips on how we can help employees who are struggling with perfectionism. Is there anything that you would add? What should managers be doing for their colleagues? I'm not sure add, but I think I would reiterate what Tom said, because I think that's good advice for everyone. The idea that good feedback and setting expectations can really help. Mm. I think it helps perfectionists, but actually might help everyone thrive at work. And if you can do that, because sometimes your manager won't spend enough time talking to you about it, you can always look at the final output of something and see, is this good enough? Did I go too far? Or should I try harder next time? Hmm. How about you? No, I like it. I like putting the onus on managers to give the feedback, to sell people, to relinquish things after a certain number of hours rather than a certain number of days, and also to give benchmarks to their own work of what they're actually looking for. So if someone is starting a task that's unfamiliar to them, showing them what the standard of output should actually look like, both so it is good enough when they get it back, but also that people aren't wasting time unnecessarily and working long hours. Thank you so much for listening to Workforce. We can only squeeze so much from our guests into the final edit of each episode. So we wanted to make sure you have access to many highlights from our brilliant contributors who have helped us bring you this episode. You can find these highlights from today's guests on my YouTube channel. Please head to the show notes for where to find those or follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram where I will be posting the content. 
a huge thanks to Thomas Curran, Pandora Paloma and Charlie Haversat for sharing their time and thoughts with us and to Teresa Almeida for simply being fabulous. This is the bit where I plead for your support. Please give a helping hand in getting Workforce in front of more listeners by subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you are listening to this. We'd also love to hear your questions and ideas for future episode topics. You can contact me anytime through my website on www.gracelorden.com. A big thank you to Decibel Creators for producing this podcast. I am your host, Dr. Grace Lorden, and I hope I earned the privilege of your time. Bye for now. Bye.